Hello and welcome. My name is Kyle Nielsen, and this is How You Level Up, a podcast where I ask questions to help you become your best self. In today's episode, we're going to listen to an old recording from my book, Sharing Treasure. This was originally published in 2018. It's available on Amazon, and it's broken up into a number of different sections. So definitely check out the title to make sure you're listening in chronological order. And please enjoy this section of the book, which is part one, failure. Disaster, a treasure taken away. After a year and a half in the military, I felt myself beginning to snap. By keeping myself emotionally isolated, by continuing to pressure myself into never being enough, by not appreciating how far I had already come, I was like a volcano waiting to explode. All I needed was an outlet. The outlets that I chose were more of the same, drinking, dangerous activities, and finally, drugs. When we were stateside, I would find comfort in what drugs I could get my hands on. It really didn't matter what they were. And while I never went for hardcore drugs like heroin or opioids, my go-tos at the time were synthetic marijuana or spice, which is not good. It would not show up on a drug test, but the high only lasted about 15 minutes, so I had to keep smoking it. When there were holiday breaks, I would go home and find ways to take ecstasy or do coke. These were the drugs that left my system fast enough for any potential pop-up tests when I returned to base. I took them at festivals and events, with friends and without, simply an excuse for celebrating whatever occasion it may be. If I was not going to get high with drugs, I was getting high with passions, like sleeping with people I didn't know and allowing them to become emotionally invested without creating boundaries. My ambitions and emotions had no direction and no purpose. They simply boiled me from the inside out. I have kept a journal since I was a teenager, and the journal has allowed for a sort of introspection into my mindset during pivotal moments in my life. The journal started off philosophical and inquisitive, and you can see it from the very first entry. Of course, excuse the grammar of my younger self. Wednesday, the 17th of December, 2007, 6.30 p.m. Our universe vast and unimaginable. Scientists say that out of our universe there are more, and we all together make up the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. From this galaxy, there are many more that make up our universe. To think that we are now considering ourselves to be so important, but the fact is there are so many more things out there that we don't know of. What I do today has no effect on anything outside of even our solar system, Now, even so, scientists say that this space is never-ending. Well, what if it is? What if it ends somewhere and then becomes something else, like a gigantic forest? And here we are, on the inside of this dark cave that we call our universe. What of their world? How big does it get? How far does their world go, their space go? What impact do they have? I still have a fascination with space, but rereading this makes me laugh at 15-year-old me. During my time in the Corps, my journal was filled with malice and was superficial at times, recounting details of things happening or spewing vague, depressive episodes instead of contemplations of the impressiveness of life. I was angry at how I was handling myself with an ex at the time, so many of the entries touch upon things that were happening with her 
even if the entry started out as something completely different. This is an episode I can only remember by reading the previous entry, which was too long for me to share. Sunday, the 16th of January, 2012, 2.07 a.m. All I try to do is make everyone around me happy, yet somehow I still find a way to ruin the beautiful things. It's almost like a curse. I can never make everything around me better, yet if I was to even try and make it worse, nothing would happen. It all just happens on its own. While there are plenty of entries that were happy, they always seem to fall short. I find that to be a good thing. It seems that I wanted to enjoy my joy and jump right back into it. Yet when I look back at when I got out of the court, I could see that my actions were self-destructive. I did not want to succeed. It seemed that I wanted to fail. Saturday, the 18th of February, 2012. 9.27 p.m. I had something I wanted to tell you, but it seems I have already forgotten. I wanted to say it a few days ago, but haven't had the time to get on here, and now I can't remember. It is getting harder every day to put a smile on for everyone. Things don't always go as planned. For instance, last night I was put in handcuffs by military police for being way too fucking drunk and climbing on some scaffolding around the club. It was mad funny because I just didn't care what they were talking about, because I was so drunk. And when I finally got out of the car, the police I was with said they didn't give a fuck either and let me go. I was lucky they did not care, and I was lucky I did not get hurt. But my attitude and recklessness continued. I was fearless, but it was not strategic. I reflect on my life during that time and realize I was afraid of success. I had convinced myself I was a failure, that I would always be a failure, and that nothing I did would change that. In the late summer of 2012, multiple embassies in the Middle East were being overrun. As a contingency force, it is Fast Company's mission to take back those embassies and protect the lives of the American citizens who might still be inside. My platoon was on red alert for any calls to action. Some of my friends, the ones who enjoyed running from emotional pain and turmoil, were excited with the possibility of being called out and wanted to celebrate. But was there a celebration? No. The celebration was an opportunity to get called to work, but it was really just an excuse to do drugs. On Friday, September 28th, I received a call after getting off work that my friends had already started celebrating, quote-unquote. They had a few eight balls of cocaine and some spice, again, synthetic marijuana. Mixing these two drugs is not smart, but Marines do things in the extreme. Around midnight, there were conversations about a call girl that I did not want to be a part of, so I left and went back to base early. I was able to fall asleep by about 4.30 a.m. and was woken up at 6 a.m. for a company-wide formation. Holy shit, I thought to myself, we're getting called out. I was under the impression our platoon was going to fly out to the Middle East that weekend, and retake one of the overrun embassies. This was not the case. Instead, there was a piss test. I tried not to freak out, as my body shook from fear. It had only been a few hours since I snorted my last line. My hands would not stop sweating and shaking. I did what every scared and naive person taking a piss test would do, and dropped some pubes in the piss cup. The idea here was that the hair would invalidate the urine, and just FYI, this is not the case. 
I was caught. My friends and I were subjected to interrogations by NCIS officers who were looking for information concerning the drug dealer. How was it that a group of Marines were able to acquire so much cocaine? Who was our source? Was he in the military? Was he selling to other military members? These were questions that I did not have the answers to, and so my time with NCIS officers was short. One of the Marines who was in our group continued to go back for weeks to talk to the NCIS officers. It is my belief that he continued to provide information to them in exchange for a lighter punishment, which he did receive. There were clues that this would be true as time passed. The original reason for the company-wide piss test was because the dealer had been tailed by a civilian narcotics officer, and when the car filled with my friends went to pick up drugs, the officer saw the military decals on our vehicle and followed them until they went back to base. He notified the chain of command and then waited for morning to come after all the drugs had been ingested. There is a zero drug tolerance within the policies of the military. It is a standard across all branches of service under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, called the UCMJ. The typical discharge a military member receives for such a violation is an OTH, or other than honorable discharge. It is an administrative separation from the military for not following the laws in the UCMJ. And this was my punishment. I told my parents what happened once I had the opportunity to call and it was one of the hardest calls I had ever made in my life. I felt like I was telling them I was going to die. And to my surprise, they were supportive. They didn't know what to say, but they were there for me if I needed. My mom gave me a mini lecture about being the best Marine possible and showing them that they were going to make a mistake. But I made the mistake, not them. I was the failure. I was ruining my life. I do not tell this story to people when they ask me about my military career or how long I served. It's depressing to share. It reminds me of the colossal pit of despair I felt for letting my friends down, my family, and myself. This is not even common knowledge among people who know me. Many family members believed that I served and finished. Some friends, mostly newer ones or those with whom I did not feel like sharing because I was not in the mood, have no idea. Those of my friends who do know what happened and hear others ask me how long I served will hear me say the well-rehearsed line that it was for a service term. I wonder if they see the pain in my face when I say that. Do they notice I am lying? Maybe I've said it so many times that you just can't tell. I'm not sure when I started to lie about my military life, but at a certain point I grew tired of explaining my failures. I still do not like to explain it because it feels like wasted air on reliving the pain. When I tell people that I served for one term, and they ask how long that is, I say four years. And I was actually contracted for five. This is how long I was supposed to serve before re-enlisting because of the specific job that I chose. But who cares about that? You didn't get through one term? What kind of shithead are you? Well, I was the worst kind. Being discharged from the military takes a long time, and there's tons of paperwork to be completed, punishments to be handed out, and the admin personnel have more pressing matters to attend to than to complete the paperwork of some shithead who did drugs. I spent three months in the headquarters platoon 
closely under the supervision of the command. We were checked in every two hours, so the duty NCO, which is a non-commissioned officer, could verify that we were not drinking or doing other drugs. There was also random check-ins at night to make sure that we were not doing anything unauthorized or running away. This latter reason only came about after one guy did run away for a different military crime, and I'm pretty sure he has yet to be found. I was their bitch. Cleaning the grounds, the offices, and the bathrooms was expected. If the person in charge could make it harder, they did. Like picking up leaves on the ground by hand in the fall. After four hours or so on that particular occasion, the company officer noticed and said we could use rakes. And boy do I love a good rake. It was hard labor, but it was also rewarding. There was always something to do, and so my mind was occupied with the tasks at hand, and I often daydreamed about leaving and starting my life over. That life could not come fast enough. Those months gave me time to reevaluate myself. I was being separated from the military, but I would always be a Marine. A failure of a Marine, under military standards, but a Marine nonetheless. I was going to need to work twice as hard as everyone else to come back from this fall. The common theme during those months was that our lives were over once we left. We were not going to get any job because the discharge comes up on background checks. We better get used to cleaning up for others because being a janitor might be the only job we could find, and maybe not even that. Those tasked with the duty of watching over the delinquents, us marines, who popped on for the drug use, felt we were a burden and treated us as such. Waiting to leave was like being in limbo with hints of psychological torture. On Monday, January the 14th, I finally signed my discharge papers and began to drive home. This was not the time to be playing around. I needed a job. I printed out a dozen resumes a week after being home and headed into the city. I walked around Times Square and much of the city asking bellhops and those in suits if their business was hiring. I did not care what job I was going to have. The bills were not going to pay for themselves. And one day, I passed a hotel where the concierge was walking out and asked if he could get me an interview. It was a stroke of luck. I told my story in the interview, shared the setbacks I created for myself, and how I was looking for a new job. The general manager appreciated my honesty and told me to come back for an interview with the owner. He told me to hold off on telling the whole story and just be myself. He said I had a good chance. And he said if anything came up in the background check that he would take a stand for me. But nothing ever did come up. A week later, I was working there as a doorman in security. That was ten days between my leaving the military and starting this job. I knew I was not in a position for growth, even though they said they would work me into rotation at the restaurant upstairs and see what else I could do. It was slow, and I felt it. The management was grateful, and the staff was welcoming, but I had just left the job of my dreams. I was depressed. I was sickened by the feeling of never being good enough, yet again. I looked for comfort with women, video games, drugs, hanging out with friends, pretty much anything to take my mind off the life that I was living. It was not a life that I wanted anymore. It was not what was expected of me. It was not what I expected of myself. While working at the hotel, I took classes with Cisco to become a computer network engineer. Network engineers make a lot of money when they start off, and I thought I wanted money because that's what I was told I wanted. 
The potential for raises looked great on paper, but I didn't care for the job. There was no heart behind the action. I had little ambition for becoming a network engineer. I could not pass the last test because I didn't study. And I didn't study because I didn't want the job. Those classes were a waste of money. Sorry, Dad. I thought about moving into private security work. I had the credentials for it. And I found institutions that provided classes on high-end security chauffeuring. I made connections with some of those at the top security companies, but ultimately those connections failed, and I account that failure to blacking out one night at a club. The security guards there were third-party, hired externally from the club, and happened to work for the company with whom I had made connections. I was thrown out of the club for starting a fight, which is totally unlike me, and I doubt I started it. But on my way out, I waved the owner's business card at them, telling them that I would have them fired. It was a childish act, and I was given a stern reprimanding the next time I saw the owner, and then he never spoke to me after that. At one point, there was an Abercrombie and Fitch recruiter who passed the hotel. He told me to come by the store and see if in-store modeling would work for me. I stood around the flagship on 5th Ave, working inside and eventually working the door. I worked there while still working at the hotel. I would wear their seasonal clothes and smile at potential customers, asking the four questions that we were instructed to ask. The job was easy, but the pay was too little for my needs. There was an interview for possibly modeling their fashion line outside the store, but I had torso tattoos, and Abercrombie and Fitch does not advertise tattoos, or at least they didn't at the time. I would only be there for about two months. My girlfriend at the time was Sophia. She was a spark of light for me. She was older, intelligent, elegant, and imaginative. She was a co-worker at the hotel whom I had befriended, and we talked for months about our lives before we even kissed. She was not afraid to travel, to move jobs, to change her life based on what she wanted, and she built hope back up inside of me. Hope that I could be something and someone of value. I had little confidence in myself at the time and shared these feelings with her. Her no-bullshit mentality kept me in check, even corrected my attitude. I stepped up my mindset and self-belief to be with her because I wanted to be the man she believed me to be. The treasure of my dream job had been taken away, but I was learning that there was more outside of my little world. There was more that I could do, more that I could be and being with Sophia at that time made me want to be more. Our relationship was not perfect, but it was enough of a reminder that the sad world I had created for myself was not going to last forever. I eventually moved on from the hotel to a job in my hometown, and my friends were graduating from college at the time, some of who had found occupations while I continued to work what I believed to be a bottom rung of jobs. I was lucky enough to have a job at all. But the feelings I still held of inadequacy were too strong for me to comprehend anything outside of my professional victimhood into which I placed my mind. Ten months would pass before leaving the gym for school in Florida, deciding that I wanted to grow more and learn more. It was time, and I wanted to be better, because the current me did not match with the person I believed I should be. My friends made me want to be better, my girlfriend made me want to be better. I knew I had to step up who I was to become and who I wanted to be. I was beginning to not fear my ambitious self once again. 
I was already at the bottom, so where else could I go except up? I had already learned so much, but I knew there was more I could do to improve. There was a better me inside somewhere, and I was going to find it. During those 19 months between the military and Florida, I learned how to function again. I learned to respect myself. I learned there was a difference between heeding advice and living by someone else's vision. I knew how not to operate in a relationship. I knew lying led to self-destruction. I knew running from my feelings never led to growth. I learned how to love again. I learned that my failure in the military did not define who I was. None of my failures ever defined me. They were a part of who I became and who I will become. I felt I had lost a treasure, my ambition, but it had only transformed, pushing me to continue moving forward. My failures hurt, and they often crippled me. Few noticed because I did not want to share these failures. I wanted to share triumphs. The successes I wanted to share did not stem from a desire to brag, but from a desire to illuminate what value I could offer. It took time for me to notice that my failures were of value too. I knew the lessons I learned would be repeated if I was not careful, and I think sometimes a lesson is not completely learned until we watch ourselves fall repeatedly. We fall countless times before we can walk, and even when walking, we can sometimes trip. Sometimes these trips are unavoidable, and sometimes they are not. The point here is that I'm going to fall again. I'm going to fail again. No matter what. So why fear failure when it has been my greatest teacher? Why fear failure when it has been my greatest treasure? Thank you for listening to another episode of How You Level Up where I ask questions to help you become your best self. Now, I put this podcast together because I wanted to help you build up your emotional independence, your communication skills, and take the next step in your personal philosophy. If you liked this episode, turn on your phone and hit the like and subscribe button, give a five-star rating, and I'll see you on the next episode of How You Level Up.